I'll be reading Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled through we're reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. You have received How many of you were surprised that fifty is the cutoff point for senior adult ministry? My kids just got out of the house. Now, Senior Adult Ministry. Hey, there you go. I am really excited uh, for the transition. Uh, Don and Carol did such marvelous work and uh, spent so much of their own time and resources in that ministry. And now for Eric and Veronica. Eric and Veronica, Sebastian, be taking over that ministry is, is a great thing. And I'm, I'm really, really happy about that. And uh, I'm also happy that we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 this morning. I know in your Bible classes you're a little bit further ahead than that, but we are going to drill down into these 11 verses this morning and think about what it means to be justified, the benefits and the blessings of being justified by Christ. And you'll find an outline in the announcement sheet that you can use to follow along as, as we go through some of the major points here. And before we do that, I hope everybody's Bibles are open to Romans chapter 5. Let's ask God to bless us. Father, we have sung this morning about your love. And what in the world would we ever do in the world without love, and especially your love? This time of year reminds us of the greatness of life as it erupts all over the place in color, but at the same time, uh, in, in juxtaposition to all of that, we read papers and, and, and see the nightly news and we are reminded that we live in, in a very fallen world surrounded by fallen people. And it is Your love, Father, that stems from Your righteousness that, that, that sees us through each and every day that, that we live. And to know, Father, that, that we are justified in Your sight means so much to us in, in terms of, of, of perspective and, and vision and strength and, and hope and encouragement. And so as we study these 11 verses this morning, Father, that, that are kind of a preamble to some other things that Paul is going to write about the blessing of, of grace, in this great book of Romans, we, we ask You to give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it. In order, Father, 
with all of our heart, we pray for it to change us. To change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of the word justified or justification, what do you think of? If you're really young, you might think of Justin Timberlake and a record. I've never heard it, never heard the song, don't know what it's about. But if you're young, you might think of Justin Timberlake. If you're a little bit older, you might think of a TV show on FX called Justified. Now that show has an interesting take on the word justified. The, the show, and, and I've just sort of seen the pilot of it, uh, and, and that tells you how, how far back uh, or how out of it I am with pop culture sometimes. The uh, show's been on uh, nearly a decade. But, but the take on the word justified is uh, in, the, in the pilot, in the opening scene, within about the first five or six minutes of, of the show, U.S. Marshal comes and sits down in front of a gun runner. Uh, gunfight, shot. He says, he drew first... I was justified. Shot a man dead. He drew first, but I was justified. In other words, he was justified in taking a life. Now, Paul has a different take on the word justified in the book of Romans. To be justified in Romans is not about taking a life, but about getting a life. Let me say that again. Justified in Romans, according to Paul, is not about taking a life, but it's about getting a life. Let's go over again what it means to be justified. I want to begin with an example or illustration. A little bit lame. I'll tell you right up at the very beginning. It's a little bit lame, but most of you, probably everybody here has seen the movie The Green Mile. It came out in 1999, and if you didn't see it in 1999, it's on television. It seems like 20 times a week. And if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what it's about. It's a, it's a Stephen King movie. It was based on a book that he wrote after all of the, the horror books he had written. He needed to kind of cleanse some of the goo out of his soul. And so he wrote a kind of an uplifting book called The Green Mile. And it's, about, it's a movie about death row uh, corrections officers and their interactions with the inmates that are waiting execution. Now, although they, they treat the men in the movie with... with uh, respect, they, you know, they treat them respectfully. They know that these guys on the Green Mile are guilty and deserving of their sentence. But that changes when they meet uh, an inmate, inmate by the name of John Coffey and discover that he is not only a good man, but he is an innocent man. And that changes everything. It changes the way that they, they see him, the way that they treat him, the way that they talk to him, the regard that they have for him. John Coffey is no longer big and scary and intimidating and dangerous. But he's kind and he's gentle and he's good. Now to be justified does not mean to transform something instantaneously. What it means is to transform how you see it or perceive it. To change the way you see somebody or something. To be justified changes in spiritual terms. To be justified changes the way that God regards you. Now, here is where the example of the green mile falls a little bit short. Now, I warned you of that up front. In the movie The Green Mile, John Coffey is justified in the eyes of the guards. His, he, he is transformed. He, they change the way they perceive him and see him. 
He is justified in the eyes of the guards by what He does and by what He is. Now, having looked through the first four chapters of Romans, we know biblically speaking that is possible. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Biblically, you are not justified because of anything that you've done, but because of what the Christ has done, what Jesus has done. You're not justified because you're good and you do good things. But being justified puts you on a trajectory for goodness in your life and puts a motivation in your life to live differently. That's what it means to be justified, to be seen differently by God because of what Christ has done. Now, let's go back to the text. Let's pick up the text again. We're going to begin this time, though, in Rome, the very last verse of Romans chapter 4 that gets us into Romans chapter 5. He, has, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our what? Justification. Therefore, since we have been, say it with me, justified through faith, Now, through the next 11 or 10 verses of Romans chapter 5, Paul is going to drill down deeper into what it means to be justified. You'll remember that uh, maybe in the second or third sermon in this series, we talked about a little quote from Frederick Buechner about the gospel. Buechner said that before the gospel can be good, it has to be bad. We have to realize the bad news before we can accept the good news. And the bad news, who we are in God's eyes. The good news, who we become in God's eyes because of Christ. Another German theologian by the name of Bonhoeffer in some of his, his, uh, his lectures about creation and the fall back in 1933 said in going to the Word of God and understanding the beginning chapters of, of Genesis, you have to understand that the Word implicates before the word redeems. That's what Paul is talking about. He has gotten through all of the stuff that reminds us that we live in a fallen world and there is nothing that we do because we all sin and we all fall fall short of the glory of God. That there is nothing that we do that we can save ourselves. Now, having been justified, he talks about the good news, the realities of being justified. The first reality is this. There is an end to hostilities. And into hostilities. August 15, 1945. Most people over the age of 50 know that date and cherish it in their heart. After four long years on that date, war ended in the world. World War II ended. The end of hostilities sparked spontaneous celebrations all over the United States. The war is over. The boys are coming home. The, the, the mothers and the sisters are coming home. The daughters are coming home. The husbands and, and the brothers, the, the, they're coming home. War was over and it was a time to celebrate. Remember this, this famous photo from, from Times Square published in, on the cover of Life magazine. People were dropping their inhibitions for a moment to celebrate the fact that for a, a world that had been saturated and drenched in human warfare... All of a sudden, all of that aggression, all all of that pain, all of that suffering, all of that violence and meanness and cruelty and death for the moment was coming to an end. War was over. Now for Paul, this is a very significant point in Romans. Remember these verses in, in, in chapter 1 verse 18? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of what? People. 
And then chapter 2, verse 8, for those who are self-seeking and those who reject the truth and follow what? Evil, that is, go the opposite direction than God, there will be wrath and anger. Now, our spiritual crimes, that is, our sins, ruined the shalom of Eden. The peace of Eden. The, the paradise of Eden. When human beings chose not to trust God, we gave God a vote of no confidence. We chose to be rival lords in rival kingdoms. We chose not to respect the distinction between being a creature and being the Creator. And breaking the will of God assumed rebellion against His authority in our life. We're going to do what we want to do because we can do it and nobody can make us do it. And that created a fight that we could not win. But... God is righteous. Which means, remember last week, which means that God is faithful to covenant even when we are not and will not do what is necessary to restore the covenant. He Himself will do. And God, through great personal sacrifice, builds the bridge for us on the cross of His Son Jesus for us to be able to enter back into relationship with Him. And so we read in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 24, you know, see the connection through the prepositions here. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received, what? By faith. Therefore, because all of that is true, because it's, it's by His grace and it's by the redemption that comes through Jesus that is received by faith and trust in what it is that God has done. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, we have peace with God. An important point to be stressed is that this is not the peace of God, but a peace with God. What Paul writes about it over in, in, in uh, uh, the letter to the church in Philippi is different. That peace is a peace that we have. It's, it's the peace of God that we have in chapter 4. Here he is talking about peace with God. The hostility that existed because in our enemy status with God, because of our rebellion against His authority, that war that is raging not only in the world, but in our souls and in relationship with God, that is now over. I mean, imagine for a minute that you live in a place like Tikrit or Mosul where the wrath of war is felt every day of your life. The threat of the experience of the wrath of war is what you live with every single moment of your day. We take for granted going to the HEB to be able to pick up a gallon of milk and not have a sniper shoot at us. But suppose you live in a place in, in, uh, like uh, Aleppo, Syria, where, where buses have to be turned over on end to protect you from snipers on the other side. And that's how you live every day. And that's how your family is raised. And that's the, the environment that you raise your kids up in. And that's how you go to work. And that's how you get into your car. You live with the wrath of war every day of your life. Somebody you know gets killed every week. People in your family have been, have been murdered because of the wrath of war. And then all of a sudden, 
peace. No more hostility. No more threat. No more worrying about the night. That's what happened when Christ took the wrath of God for us when He died on the cross and shed His blood. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, we have now been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? And quite frankly, that's what the spirit of worship expresses. You think about all of the jubilation and the celebration that took place when, when World War I was over and World War II was over and the Korean conflict was over and Vietnam was over and the Gulf Wars have been over and all of the different wars that have transpired in all of our lifetimes. And you think about the celebration and the jubilation of knowing that it's over, that peace. And you, you think about how the inhibitions have been dropped as people begin to celebrate and, 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 and to relish the idea of peace. Finally. And that's what gets expressed in the spirit of worship, in the spirit of how we praise God, in the spirit of how we lift up our voice and recognize His goodness to us when we sing, as we did today, about the love of God that has come into our life. How He is good to us. How His loving kindness, His steadfast loving kindness has made all the difference in the world. The spirit of worship expresses the celebration of peace between ourselves, between our souls and God. Or it expresses hesitancy about it. But then there's a second reality. Reality number two is the restoration of relationship. There is more than just the cessation of hostility and it's hinted back in in chapter 1. What does... The wrath of God look like. Well, in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. In chapter 1, verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to do. What's the recurring phrase? God gave them over. God gave them over. And what does it mean? Well, one of the best definitions, one of the best explanations for it that I have ever found comes from from Augustine. He said, what God is talking about when He gave them over is that He stepped back and allowed the sin of human beings to become the punishment for the sin of human beings. Sin becomes the punishment for sin. And peace means the cessation of hostilities, but it does not mean reconciliation. You know that as well as I do, is you can stop fighting with somebody, but does it, does it mean that, that you have a reconciled friendship relationship that is established in its place? Paul has said that we have peace with God, but hear how he continues his thoughts on justification. Verse 2, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now what? Stand. And then drop down to verse 10. For if while we were God's what? God's enemies. God's enemies. 
We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received what? Reconciliation. What's the key word? Reconciliation. 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 Justification means not only that the hostilities have ceased, but that friendship with God has been restored. Instead of being an enemy, it's now friendship. But then reality three is the establishment of an identity. That's one of the blessings also of, of being justified by the blood of Christ that He shed on the cross for our redemption is that we have an, an identity that is now established. We are people of hope. Paul said back in Romans chapter 3 that all sin and all fall short of the glory of God. But because we have been justified, we now will see that glory of God once again. So he says in verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, think of all of the promises of God that pertain to salvation and friendship and loyalty, the reversal of the curse of the thorns and the thistles from Genesis chapter 3, the certainty of God's Word, the love, the loving kindness, Hebrew chesed. The Hebrew writer says, in light of all of those kinds of promises, that in chapter 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, everyone knows what an anchor is. A boat in rough waters has to have it to survive, right? An anchor is that weight that gets down below the surface of the water, down deep into where the, the, uh, the, the rocks uh, are, are located, and it, it gets below that water where the, the water is swelling around you and, and gets into those solid rocks below. And once it gets into that, what does the anchor do? It stabilizes everything. And the more you meditate on that fact... That you have been removed out from under the wrath of God. And now there is peace with God. And it's not that you've just gone to neutral corners and are, don't really have anything to do with each other. But because you have peace with God, you now have friendship with God that is established. And it's been restored forever. And that one day you will not stand among the thorns and the thistles, but in the glory of God, it changes you. It gives you a different perspective in the way that you look at other people, at the circumstances in your life. Even the present suffering that you experience in life is changed because of that hope. That one day, that glory that you have fallen short of in this life is going to be the very glory that you stand in one day in God's presence. Which means that the present suffering no longer has the same power over you. It no longer makes you smaller and smaller and weaker and weaker, but stronger and stronger and better and better and more beautiful and more beautiful. And this hope triggers a chain reaction in you that brings out the best version of you. 
Paul's not saying that the suffering you go through doesn't hurt or that it's not painful. What he says is that it will not overcome you. And that the power of God in that suffering reveals things about God that you never, ever, ever see unless you see them through that lens. And that hope triggers a chain reaction in you that brings out the best version of you where you have a buoyancy and you have a poise in life. Because as he says in verse 3, we know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. That perseverance is because you're focused and you see things differently than you have ever seen them before. And that perseverance leads to character. And that character leads to hope. Many of you were here when Lynn Anderson spoke at the beginning of our summer series this last summer and talked about his bout with cancer. And how he fought cancer a couple of years ago, lung cancer. He'd gone in to, to have an operation done on the back of his neck because of some, uh, some numbness in his arm when they discovered a spot on his lung that turned out to be some pretty severe lung cancer. And when he first heard the news, he took it pretty calmly and, 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 and took it uh, sort of in a... In a uh, sort of in a state of, of numbness, maybe. But after a while, the idea, and Lynn will tell you this himself, the idea that he had death inside of his body began to, to be the thing that he wrestled with. But as he wrestled with that and, and saw that the suffering produced his perseverance and the perseverance character and the character hope, all of a sudden he began to experience the presence of God in his life in a way that he had never seen it ever before and experienced it ever before in his life. It was palpable. It was tangible. The, the, the felt, acute, keen sense of God's presence in his life. And now on this side of the cancer, he says, you know what, I never want to go through that again. But I would not trade the experience of the nearness of God for anything in this life. And that's the identity that you have in this world. And there's a fourth reality. And that is the experience of love. Verse 5, he says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Somehow, through the presence of the Spirit of God that we receive in baptism, we are made aware that God loves us. It is a subjective moment. How do you know that your father loves you? How do you know that your mom loves you? Or your wife or your husband loves you? Even when they don't say it constantly, how do you know they love you? It's a subjective experience of them. What Paul is saying is that part of what it means to be a Christian is to have the Spirit. And what it means to have the Spirit in, at one level is that God gives you His Spirit so that you can have a subjective experience of Him and His love. To know that you are His. Paul will later say that, that the love you experience through that, that presence of the Spirit in you in Romans chapter 8 is, is like the love of a father for a son or for a daughter. He also says that God gives us an objective lesson. Not just subjective where, where we know that God is our Father and we are His children and that the love is, is flowing. 
But there's also an objective fact that we ponder every Sunday when we come together as a church family and when we are out on our own during the week that we think about every day. And that is that Christ, in love, when He didn't have to, died for us. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God does what? God does what, church? When we think about the cross, God does what? Demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, growing up with brothers is, is a blessing. And, and, and if, if you have brothers, you know what I'm talking about. Or really, just siblings in, in particular. You know, you, you get to know each other really, really well. And one of the funny things that happens is that you know, you know each other pretty well. And you know the, the transgressions that you have perpetrated against home and hearth when mom and dad were not home. And so, you know, you, your little brother is not doing what you want him to do. And you say, you know that thing you did two years ago? where you took that extra piece of cake or that extra cookie or I caught you drinking milk out of the jug, if you don't do what I say, guess what? I'm telling mom and dad what you did two years ago. And for a while that works, right? But then there's another experience that you have as, as a brother or you have as a sister. And that is when you've done something really, really dumb and you've made a mistake and your mom and dad are just going to be so hacked off at you and you're about to bear the brunt of that wrath because they're just now discovering that something happened while they were at work and all of a sudden your older brother or your older sister comes in and says, listen, keep quiet, I'll take the blame. They come and say, listen, you just stay down the hall, you stay in the room, don't come out, don't say anything, you don't know anything but I'll take the heat for this. And you know, one of the crazy things that happens is, is that um, when you look at that sibling through that experience, it just changes everything. What might have been a, a, a cruddy relationship is now transformed. Because somebody was willing to take the heat for you. And you know, Paul will talk about, you know, nobody really does that for anybody except for somebody that they really love. And that's where you begin to see it. That's when you really begin to see it. You know, in John chapter 19, that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus but he was one secretly. And it looks like, when you read the text and what happens, that Joseph sees the crucifixion, that Joseph hears, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's the Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And what John says is that it's that Joseph of Arimathea who saw Jesus die on the cross that goes to Pilate, no longer a secret disciple, but a changed individual because of the love of God, because of the love of Christ. It says in front of everybody, the Sanhedrin, in front of the Romans, in front of Pilate, it says, I would like to take the body of Jesus. 
And Pilate allows him to take it. Just, justification is a word. But the problem is, is that for most of us, it just stays a word. It stays a concept. It's, it, it stays one of those words that we'll think about one of these days when Paul is saying, this word, this word, this word, justification, is so important that when you really get your mind around it, it just completely transforms you. Because you do understand that all of that wrath was coming your way and now you have peace in its place. And, and, and it's not just peace, but you have a friendship with God that has been restored forever. And not only that, you become a person of hope because of the relationship with God and what that means not only for eternity, but also for today and tomorrow and the next day. And every day of your life, you live with the fact, subjectively and objectively, that God loves you. That God loves you so dearly and that His Son, the Christ, loves you so dearly that He took the punishment for our sins and our crimes upon Himself. And that, my friends, is what it means to be justified. Because of what He did, God looks differently at you. And I don't know about you, but I just want to dedicate my life for the rest of my life living a life that's worthy of that love. I didn't get there, oh my goodness. But I I want to live my life in goodness the rest of my days because I'm justified in love. We're going to sing a song right now. Our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe you've never felt that love. Maybe you've never experienced what it means to have that wrath of God taken away so that you can feel peace and friendship with God and that love poured into your heart through His Spirit. Today is a day that that can happen. And it can happen. Come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. Lord, let your 